The ultimate pop culture convention, San Diego Comic-Con, took an unprecedented gamble in July 2020 with Comic-Con at home, the virtual attempt to capture geek culture in a bottle and funnel it to the streaming masses. While virtually connecting an international community of fans proved to be a challenge, the annual event, known for bringing together outsiders and celebrating inclusion, still managed to bring some core issues to the surface. Whether it's highlighting the social importance of shared experiences or celebrating a sense of belonging through collective fandom, Comic-Con at Home can serve as a learning experience for future conventions, pushing organizers to rethink what events like these are really about, who they're for, and who they should represent in the future. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about Comic-Con at Home, San Diego Comic-Con's virtual attempt at recreating one of the nation's biggest annual fan conventions in the face of COVID-19. As mixed reactions from fans highlight the need for truly interactive experiences, could Comic-Con at Home set the stage for the future of conventions? Our second story takes a closer look at the future of LGBTQ superheroes. Recent Comic-Con panels have allowed artists to stress the need for more LGBTQ roles in movies and on TV, hoping that increased representation in fantasy and action movies in particular can create better, more inclusive stories on screen. This is The Abstract. Look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, why Comic-Con at home may have missed the best part of Comic-Con, the third space. Hi, this is Mayor Kevin Faulkner. July is hands down the best month to be in San Diego. That's in large part because of Comic-Con International. And this year, of course, will be a little different. Instead of getting together in person, we'll be celebrating Comic-Con virtually this week. So to all the Star Lords, Wonder Women, and Baby Yodas out there, welcome to Comic-Con 2020, the at-home version. Have a great time, and we'll see you next year. That virtual... Welcome by San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner. Set the stage for Comic-Con 2020 at home. Like everything else in 2020, we knew the annual San Diego Comic Convention would be different. The July 2020 virtual event had no long lines, no entrance. You just clicked on a YouTube link that led you to a pre-recorded Zoom panel. And with no lines, there is no low, soothing hum of incessant chatter everywhere, which means no fellow geek to seamlessly chat in line with. How about those instant shots of serotonin your brain releases when you see someone cosplaying your favorite character? Not happening. So despite pulling out all the virtual stops, was Comic-Con at home virtually missing the best part of Comic-Con? What's known as the third space is essentially everywhere to be found at conventions like Comic-Con. These spaces or communities that bring about spontaneous relationships between people of different backgrounds have become a Comic-Con staple. However, this year, new friendships and a sense of belonging were replaced by a spectacular lack of atmosphere and a series of video streams that basically sounded something like this. Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, and welcome to the San Diego Comic-Con 2020. Welcome to Comic-Con at Home. Welcome to a very special panel with Charlize Theron. For another diabolical panel. For a Collider's panel on Constantine, the 15th anniversary. This is the Fear the Walking Dead panel. Comic-Con! We're doing this! Still, 
While it was easy to appreciate the ease of accessibility, free panels easily streamed online beats the price of any SDCC pass, what was missing was something you can't exactly pay for. So can the rest of 2020's fan conventions learn from SDCC and possibly even recreate an effective third place for events like Comic-Con? Let's get more. Joining us for the first time, entertainment writer at Inverse, Daze Johnston. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Really cool to have you. I'm excited to kind of um, talk about something a little bit different. Uh, we go into gaming every now and then, and this is a big deal, right? Because Comic-Con 2020 at home was a bit of a gamble. And it seems like the reaction from fans have been varied, but the one takeaway seems to be that glaring lack of interactive experience. So how did you digest the whole event as a fan and as someone who covers this? You know, what's your impression of this digitized version of Comic-Con now that the dust has settled a bit? Well, it was my like actual like first Comic-Con that I could ever experience because I just now made it accessible to people over because I couldn't go to San Diego every year. So I was super excited to like go to these panels and experience things. And then when I clicked on the first link, I realized, oh, this is just like any other YouTube video I could have watched. There's no sense of community. There's no interaction with other people, with other people who like the same things that I do. And there's not even a sense of like a communal watching experience. So I really thought that it was a little bit lacking in that. Right. The usual experience, you know, there's that famed Comic-Con hallway, that almost sacred space. And that's what's so key about these events, you know, that that energy, the sanctuary, um, and what you write about, the importance of that third place. Would you say that Comic-Con even takes it next level, gives a whole new flavor to this concept in a sense, because it really does seem to make Comic-Con what it is? Yeah, there's almost like a kind of visual language about Comic-Con. People cosplay when they have badges and you can add ribbons to them that like have different references to different fandoms. And it's those sort of things that ex like communicate to others like, oh, please talk to me about X, Y, and Z things. And there's a real sense of openness to it. A huge part of the excitement as well comes with that interaction with fans and with the events, with the panels. As far as how the whole interactive component went virtually, it seems like things could have gone better, right? How would you just assess how it was a good try, let's call it, but how things might have been improved? Yeah, for usually when you have these sort of panels, there's some sort of sense of Q&A. And a couple of panels did have Q&A sections where they would solicit questions like a week before they filmed in June when they recorded these panels because they were all pre-recorded. There still wasn't a sense of like, you know, in the moment acting. Like there should have been, there, YouTube has a great has a great feature where you can have premieres for panels where you can click on the link and it will play the video from the, at the same point for everybody. And that and there's a live chat going on so people can discuss what's happening on screen. And with they didn't have that in the Comic-Con panel. So whenever you click the link, whether it was on the dot when it started or 10 minutes after you started, it played from the beginning for you. So if you were live tweeting or something, you would, you would be totally out of sync with everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> makes for the awkwardness we're all kind of used to at this point in uh, our new Zoom life. What was interesting, too, was the concept of the uh, visual signifiers, because you write about how one of the difficulties of a virtual conversation is that lack 
of visuals. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that and how that really put a dent into this year's Comic-Con as well. Yeah, Comic-Con, is, it's so general, but it's also full of these very, very hyper-specific like little groups in one big area. So finding someone from like across a crowded conference center who has that in common with you is expressed through clothing, through badge ribbons, through like pins or buttons, all sorts of things to try and be like, hey, this is what I like. You should come see if if you like that too. And it's something that doesn't isn't just a, a fan convention thing. It's across academic conferences and any sort of like gathering of people with specific interests in mind. Right. And that goes back to that third place. Right. So stepping back, uh, you know, this is one convention, but we'll have to adapt as the months go by. You know, this COVID-19 life has led to a lot of these alterations. Um, Are there some solutions or at the very least concepts to think about in order to build these types of third spaces virtually so events like Comic-Con can exist? Well, maybe not to the scale of Comic-Con just yet, but the the, per, the internet linguist Gretchen McCulloch, who I talked to for this article, we actually met through a conference, and she was telling me about uh, how a linguistic conference she attended, they had a Slack a Slack, a Discord channel, a Discord channel specifically for the conference where they would have like live streams of every talk and panel and then also breakout rooms in channels that they can go for just conversation, like one was called The Bar or something like that, where they can just have a conversation about whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to see how these ideas will kind of flesh out as we adapt. Head to inverse.com to read more. In the meantime, days. thanks so much. Thank you. Attendees at Comic-Con at Home also got the chance to tune into a powerful discussion on LGBTQ characters on television. Next, a look at the state of representation on TV and how it may be the superhero role that provides a unique opportunity for more inclusion. Part of this panel is talking about what's next. What do we need to see on television that we're not seeing already? Non-binary stories. A wider spectrum of the LGBTQ queer experience. Queer uh, stories of people of color. More intersectionality, period. More representation of trans people, but it's like there are trans disabled people. I want to see of trans people who are, who are of immigrant backgrounds. We have to have more LGBTQ, especially trans people, behind the camera. Different perspectives behind the camera will enable in terms of the visuals, directors, writers, because that's how we're going to see more diversity. That is exactly how we start to shift the gaze, and it, it hits us differently, for sure, the helmers are of that experience. That was from Comic-Con at Home's retrospective chat, LGBTQ characters on television, what's next? Where actors took part in a Q&A, which was moderated by Jim Halterman of TV Guide magazine. Artists such as Wilson Cruz, Jamie Chung, J. August Richards, and Tatiana Maslani talked about the trajectory of television representation in the context of today's industry, and further discussed what the future of representation can hold. In recent years, there's been an increase in positive LGBTQ representation on television, with these diverse television characters continuing to provide a growing impact not only on social issues, but on fans looking to see reflections of themselves. 
During the Comic-Con at Home panel, actress Tatiana Maslany discussed how her own role in the sci-fi thriller Orphan Black has illustrated the importance of diverse sexual representation in entertainment. Being able to go to Comic-Con and, and connect to fans who were finally seeing themselves on screen in Cosima and able to speak to their parents about who they are because Cosima allowed them to have, you know, an example or a, a way of telling a story that they could then go, hey, that's me. There's something about that that was really eye-opening to me. So how has past representation brought us to where we are now? And where do we go next? Part of the answer may lie with the future of LGBTQ superheroes. For decades, DC and Marvel comics have been criticized for a lack of true representation. However, Inverse's May Abdulbaki joins us now to talk about how current times are providing a wave of change as pop culture comes closer to understanding that true heroism has nothing to do with sexual identity. Hey, May, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here for the first time. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Good. Welcome. So something I keep hearing more and more is an appreciation from fans who feel like they're finally seeing themselves on screen, whatever the minority group is. So while it seems in a lot of ways we're just scratching the surface, do you get a sense that we are in new territory, that there is a sense of recognition that wasn't present even in recent years? What's your sense of the current landscape and the progress that's taken place? Absolutely. I mean, I remember growing up never really seeing LGBTQ on screen in general. Like it was very minimal at best or kind of a head nod if they even included it at all. But in terms of recent years, I think in general, there has been strides being made towards better representation on screen. Sometimes that happens behind screen as well, which is really important. So I think that as a whole, the entertainment industry is doing a little bit of a better job in recent years than it has been the last decades. So these actors tend to be in a special position that allows them to assess the progress and offer suggestions in a unique way. Wilson Cruz in particular, his path as an actor started in the 90s with my so-called life. And at the Comic-Con panel, he acknowledged that that's when the door had just started to open. And despite all the progress, he and the other panel members kept reiterating the fact that there's still so much work to do. So where can things potentially start? What kinds of action can help with the push towards some positive momentum? I think in terms of being better at it, they talked a lot about, you know, of course, having behind the scenes representation. So they discussed there's a lot of representation maybe on screen, but the fact is that there might not be certain people or LGBTQ rep behind the screen um, in terms of like who's bringing these stories to life, how does that translate to that character and things like that. So they talked a lot about, you know, wider, having like a wider spectrum of experiences on screen so that the actors or and behind the scenes, I mean, so that the actors don't necessarily have to come in and always educate the writers on what needs to be done with their character. Like I think uh, Jamie Clayton at one point mentioned that her character on Roswell, New Mexico, they didn't have any trans writers in the writer's room and that she had to ask to adjust a line about her character in terms of like dating and, and what that looks like. And I know on Supergirl as well, there's Nicole Maines, who is a trans woman, also having to kind of educate the writers because there are no trans writers in the writer's room. So I think that that representation behind the screen is so very important in terms of how are we seeing these actors and characters play out? Because... It's not just about having them there and, you know, checking a box. It's also about having them 
feel like real people and having a lived-in experience. So that representation is is very important behind the scenes. And they talked a lot about that and what needs to change in terms of like who's doing the hiring and specifically like writer's rooms and sharing that experience with the actors who are being hired to play these roles. You recently wrote about how Marvel has gotten some pushback in terms of the way it represents members of the LGBTQ community as well as minority groups. And we talk about that specific kind of role, superheroes in particular. There's this new idea that maybe there's something in that role that can serve as an ideal representation, you know, that could help push boundaries in a way that other roles can't. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's so much because people are such big fans of the superhero genre and we've seen it kind of catapult into the spotlight over the last couple of decades uh, so that everyone's kind of enjoying them outside of the people who just used to read comics. And I think that that representation is important because everyone wants to see a superhero who is representing them on screen who has maybe like a good moral compass. They're out saving the day. They're looked upon and revered by others as well. And they're genuinely thought to be like good people. And I think that that's really important because it's it's like so rare and we're so used to seeing superheroes historically be white men on screen, whether they're on TV or in movies like Marvel, for example. So having that, I think Batwoman is the first headlining LGBTQ hero for sure. And I think that that's so important for so many to see that play out because it it just means a lot to finally have someone that they can cosplay as or feel represented or be able to discuss with others about the importance of that representation to feel like they are superheroes too, you know? Right. In particular, Brian Michael Smith at the uh, Comic-Con at Home panel said something interesting about he'd like to see more representation in fantasy and action movies, you know, have these characters portrayed not just as the sidekick, but as the lead. Do you see that happening more in the future with LGBTQ superheroes? What does the path toward that look like and, and what kinds of representation do artists and creators hope to present through this genre? I think in general, they, I mean, obviously hiring more rep behind the scenes for sure. I think with Marvel, we saw in Endgame that little bit of, you know, Joe Russo, the director, playing a gay character on screen. It was like a blip, you know, blink and you miss it. And in terms of like how we can further the experience with regards to like LGBTQ on screen and even Marvel films, we can't take one step. It needs to be 10 steps forward. They need to hire people behind the scenes. They need to expand on the LGBTQ experience regarding even like people of color. They brought up like Asian trans men on the L word and we're not really seeing that elsewhere either. Just having this broader hiring and making sure that you're making an actual effort to get it right versus just saying that you're going to do it and then not taking the steps to put forward, you know, recommendations as to what that will look like in the future of your films. Very good. May covers all of this and more at inverse.com. You can head there for the latest. Thanks so much, mate. Thank you, Tanya, for having me. Head to inverse.com to read more about the future of conventions and of the communities they represent. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. 
Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.